my name's Chris. Um, uh, yeah, it's great to be here with you guys. A number of months ago, I got a chance to hang out with your pastor. He rocks. You guys already know that, but I got a chance to hang out with him. And uh, um, we're in the process of planning a church in Davis. And so he's like, man, come teach at our church in Living Hope. And I was like, all right, cool. The last time I was here at Living Hope was 10 years ago. So I guess it takes about 10 years cycle for me to come back. So, um, yeah, I'm glad to get a chance to come back and spend time with you guys. A little bit about myself. Um, I'm from Valley Church in Vacaville. Um, yeah, right on. Uh, my wife and I um, were missionaries for a number of years um, in Papua New Guinea. Do you guys know the Clausanes, right? Yeah. Um, so you know the stories that uh, they've, they've shared. We've had similar stories. Um, we were with a people group called the CR, and right now they're all by themselves, not really because they got the Holy Spirit and God's Word and their language, and they're discipling the socks out of people. It's phenomenal. Um, so, yeah, maybe one of these days when Nate and Elizabeth come back, by the way, I love them. Um, they're great. Um, when they come back, maybe we'll come back and share stories of what God's doing around the world. Um, let's pray. Father, we, you are so sticking good to us. Who are we? What have we done that, we'd pay, that you would pay us back? Absolutely nothing. That's because of your grace. A grace that's permanent. A grace that has no strings attached. A grace that's eternal. A grace that was initiated by you. A grace that was toward mankind. A grace that was given to sinners enemies, those who had no strength, and a grace that we see summed up and fulfilled in the person and work of your unique son, Jesus Christ. He is grace. He is truth. He is life. He is salvation. He is redemption. Lord, those aren't just theologies. It's Christ. It's a person who came for us. And Father, we ask that today we preach and proclaim, demonstrate and declare him and him alone. We have no other agenda through song, through testimony, through the preaching of your word, through fellowship, through prayer, through weeping, through rejoicing. Lord, may it be Jesus-focused. We pray these things in your name. Amen. It's all about Jesus. Where we're going to preach Jesus we heard Jesus through song. I'm going to walk around, so I probably will go in and out of the mic. I'll talk loud because I, need, I, I just walk. We're going to preach Jesus, so open your Bibles. Let's crack this thing open. John 3. We're going to go to perhaps the most popular, most well-known passage in Scripture. And I want to, what I want to see here, what I want to uncover a little bit for you guys is this, is the lifestyle of Jesus, the posture of love. What does love look like? We're going to actually look at John 3, and, and, and right next, right back, back, back to back is John 4. We're going to look at how Jesus ministered to the mainstream and how he ministered to the marginalized. Preaching Jesus. Look at John 3. It says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. A member of the ruling council, the Jewish ruling council, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. 
Let me stop there. Nicodemus was the mover and shaker, the social and religious elite at the time. He was one of the Sanhedrin, from what we can tell. The 72 elite of that time that decided the social, cultural, and religious structure of the Jewish community. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus, not in the middle of the day, but at night. There's been many theory of why Jesus, or why Nicodemus rather, comes to Jesus at that time. I believe that he came because of his fear. Because he had much to lose in his community. He had much to, that he's put in the line of one of his cohorts within the, within the religious system at the time saw him speaking to this guy named Jesus, him who John the Baptist called the Lamb of God, him who was performing miraculous, miraculous signs in the name of God, he could have lost everything that he worked for. But he comes at night. In the passage it says that he came to Jesus at night and called him teacher, rabbi. The miraculous signs that Jesus was performing, he hadn't performed them all yet. But the one that he did perform, the signs that he was performing, Nicodemus made notice of it. And he comes to Jesus at night. Let me say this. I believe that there's two groups of people on the face of the earth. Believers and yet to be believers. Saints and yet to be saints. They're not unbelievers. They just haven't believed yet. It's a statement of faith that we need to place upon our yet to believing friends and family members, co-workers, colleagues, employees, employers, neighbors. It's a statement of faith. Fast forward to the death of Jesus and Jesus is hanging on the cross. Who comes to the cross and takes his body off the cross? I believe it's this Nicodemus with Joseph. You see, at this time, he was yet to believe. But when Jesus' arms are stretched on the cross and he lets his spirit go, and his body is taken down, Joseph and Nicodemus, this Nicodemus comes to him and tends to him. Nicodemus steps out of the shroud and shade and cover of his religious covering and says, I associate myself with this guy that hung his hand on the cross. You believe it? Nicodemus, this Nicodemus comes at night. We lived in Papua New Guinea for nine years. You know, every culture has a sense of privacy. Us Westerners, we are some of the most private people on the face of the earth. We put fences around our house to the back neighbor and the side neighbor and the other side neighbor. And sometimes even the, we put fences in front of our house so those driving by would never see in. We have shades and blinds. If that's not sufficient, we put cut, we cut curtains so no one would dare see what's going on in our house. I have those too. I'm not being critical. We're private people. But we live with a people group that weren't too private. That felt that any time was open. And as this seems, as 
you know, after a tough day learning language and being called an idiot, and you're never going to learn this language, and my two-year-old speaks better than you do, and just at the frustration, at the frustration, it just was almost like uncanny that there was always this knock on the door. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. We burnt out. And at times, to be honest, there was a time when my wife and I would look to each other and go, not it. I don't know about you guys. You have not at times in your life where it's just not convenient. At this moment, I'm going somewhere. I got something to do. I'm tired. I'm spent. I can't afford it. Whatever it is, we have those not at moments. Jesus doesn't have a not at moment. Nicodemus comes at night. It would have been easy for Jesus to come. Man, just come during the day. What about the Sabbath? Come on Saturday. You know, right now, I'm just tired. I got a lot. Nicodemus, didn't you recognize what I did throughout the day? I was talking and spending time with people all day long. And I just wanted time to rest. Here's the thing. A posture of love. Jesus' lifestyle was one of availability. He was available to Nicodemus when it was inconvenient. And it radically changed the life of this man. Nicodemus knew he could go to Jesus. He knew he could go at night. He knew it would be safe to come at a time when no one else would know. He knew Jesus would embrace him right where he was at, even in the midst of his fear of his own countrymen. I want to show how this life of availability, this posture of love to people didn't end with Jesus. It flowed through his disciples. And it flows through the life of Paul. Turn with me to Acts 16. Acts is just one book after the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts is a story, not of the apostles. It's the story of the spirit of God that lived in the apostles, of what he was doing through their life. You guys know Saul, this murderer, this blasphemer, this persecutor of the church. Acts 9, Paul says, or God says, man, what's going on? Why are you fighting against me? Paul's life was radically changed by this, this Jesus guy. Acts 16. Acts 16 is the testimony, it's the narrative, it's a story of the gospel going to Europe for the very first time. If you have any European descent in your line, which I do, any European descent, this is where your people, my people, heard the gospel for the very first time. Our ancestors in Acts 16. Listen to what it says in verse 11. From Troas, you put out to sea, we being uh, Luke, right? Luke wrote this. This is second Paul, uh, Luke's second volume to his, his friend. We put out to sea and sailed across Seven trace, and to the next day, Neapolis, verse 12, from there we traveled to Philippi. 
a Roman colony in the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, we went out to the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. They had a certain expectation. To find a place of prayer, did they find? We sat down and began to speak to women who had gathered there. One from, of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her, her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So they stayed. Paul was available. You see, we have certain expectations. We have certain agendas, right? Paul was going out with Luke and some others were going out to the city by the river to find a place of prayer. They were going to talk to God. To do it corporately. But they recognized that people needed Jesus. Ladies sitting around and they stopped what they wanted, made themselves available to these people that were gathered together on the Sabbath. Where did Paul get that type of availability, that type of love for a people that he could see outside of his own agenda, outside of his own structure, outside of his own schedule, and say, hey, you know what? These people are in need of Jesus. Where did he get that? He got that from Jesus, his Savior. You see, we all have a spiritual DNA. It's Jesus Christ. In Romans 6, it tells us that we've been united with Christ. Never can be severed. That word is a fusing together, taking two things and making them one so they can never be separated again. Your spirit, with the spirit of God being unified as one, that's Jesus' spirit. You have the spiritual DNA of Jesus living in you now. This is Jesus. Making himself available through Paul to the people of Philippi. You see what these guys are doing? They're creating space in their life for people. Creating space. You see, sometimes when we think about that word discipleship, being a follower, an apprentice of Jesus Christ, sometimes we look through the lens of a program. Just tell me what to do. Tell me what Bible, Bible class I need to go to. I need to go to Bible 101. I need to go to Bible school. I'm not against those things. But what, what's happening here is these men, Jesus, the Son of God, Paul, who has a spiritual DNA of Jesus, simply did this, made their lives available to people. They opened up space in their life, created space. So my question for us today is this. How would God have us create space in our life for people? Not to fill it with another financial scheme to make more money. Not to fill it with just another thing to, to do, 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 do but actually create space in our life for people that we would call yet to be believers. You see, Lydia was a yet to be believer. Paul stepped into her world and shared Jesus with her, and she believed. 
There's people around you right now that are waiting for you to step into their world to share Jesus. Yeah, our world tries to neuter us so that we wouldn't have the gospel go out. It tries to make us look like, well, we're just believing a myth, legends. There's no reason, there's no intelligence in understanding Jesus for who he is. That's just one of the schemes of the world to remove us outside and to place us in an environment where we won't be effective for Jesus Christ by the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus, Paul, because he had the spiritual DNA of Jesus, were available to people. Look at John 4 with me now. So we see Jesus being available to the social elite of Nicodemus. The mover and shaker of his time. And Jesus in John 4 is not just going to be available, but he's going to be intentional with a social outcast, the marginalized. John 4, 4, look at this with me. This is interesting. The wording in this passage is sort of interesting to me. Now he had to go to Samaria. Do you really? He had to go through Samaria? We'll go through that a little bit. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sychar. Now the plot of ground Jacob was given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus was tired. Speaking of his humanity, Jesus was completely human and completely God at the same time. Jesus was hungry and tired. From his journey, he sat down by the well. It was the sixth hour. Did Jesus really have to go through Samaria to go to Galilee? He didn't have to. That's not speaking that there's only one route. In fact, the more well-trodden route, the route that was actually more frequently used by the Jews, was actually to cross the Jordan River, on the east side of the Jordan River, go up, then cross back over the Jordan as they passed the country or the area of Samaria to get to Galilee. Why did they do that? Because they hated the Samaritans. It was a reminder of their captivity by the Assyrians hundreds of years ago. Remember when the Assyrians came and took the northern kingdom Israel and the Assyrians had kids with those Jewish people. Those kids are called the Samaritans. They were half breeds. They weren't full Jews. And the Jews looked down at them and said, half breeds. They were racists. They were bigots. They hated people simply. Because of their race. And it just wasn't the Jews. The Samaritans hated the Jews. Here's the thing. Whether you're the Nicodemus of the world. Or you rub shoulders with the Samaritan women. Folks of the world. Lostness means lostness. You're lost regardless of your status within the community, regardless of what language you speak, regardless of your ethnicity or their ethnicity. If they haven't come to Jesus Christ by faith, they're lost, regardless of how many zeros they have in their bank account, 
or if they have a bank account at all. Lostness is lostness, brokenness is brokenness. In the story of Nicodemus in three, and the Samaritan woman in four, John writes them back to back because I think it can impact us today. That Jesus wasn't a respecter of people. He understood that he came to seek and save the lost. Regardless of who they were. Look at me with me at verse 7. The Samaritan woman came to draw water. By the way, the sixth hour, that's noon. That's a horrible time to draw water. Super hot. Why was she drawing water at that time with no other women? She was all by herself. She wasn't even allowed to go draw water with the other women in the city. She was such a social outcast because of her moral indiscrepancies that the people, the women of the, of the town, wouldn't even go spend time with her at the well. She was so hated. That's why Jesus had to go through Samaria. Not because it wasn't another route. He had to go to spend time with her. Intentionality. It was so intentional that his disciples, these guys that he was grooming for ministry, he was grooming for his departure. He, would, he was going to leave them and send the Holy Spirit to be indwelling their life forever. These guys didn't get it. They were questioning, why is he speaking to a woman? Look at verse 7. Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me water to drink? The disciples had gone into town to buy food. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. One of the most fundamental basic needs of mankind is water. We all need water. We drink it every day. At least some of us do. Sometimes I forget. I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, babe, I don't think I had a glass of water like for like four weeks. <laughs> no wonder I don't feel good. We should drink more, more water because we need it. That's not my point. My point is this. Jesus redeemed the mundane thing of life. He redeemed a sip of water. He redeemed a sip of water. Have we redeemed a trip to the grocery store? Have we redeemed taking out our trash? Have we redeemed brushing our teeth with our kids? Have we redeemed having a meal? Have we redeemed driving down the street? Have we redeemed sitting at our kids' sports activity? Have we redeemed taking them to school? Have we redeemed going to work? Have we redeemed getting up in the morning? Have we, have we redeemed taking a sip of water? You see, this, here's the thing. The churches should never be asking you to do a bunch of more programs. They should be saying, hey, redeem what you already have. You have time. If we would just redeem the mundane things in life. Here's the thing, guys. I've learned in my life, the things that I do the most are the most mundane, routine things. Those big, significant things that I've done in my life, they're few and far between. But if I were to add up all the things that I've done that are simply mundane, that I do every single day or every week, and use that for Jesus. 
To have his life flow through me. So people could see that I'm not just taking a sip of water. But I'm bringing Jesus. I'm bringing Jesus. 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 Redeem the mundane. Jesus was thirsty. Have you ever been thirsty? Redeem it. Jesus says, hey, you come, you come to this well, you're going to thirst again, but I'm going to give you water. And you'll never thirst again. Eternal water. That flows in and through you. Jesus redeeming the mundane. Intentionality. He sought her out. And you guys know what happens, right? She believes Jesus. Yes! Are you kidding? That's awesome! That's what it's all about. It's not about Jacob's will. It's about living water. And what does she do? She leaves her jar... Quite, quite possibly the only possession that she had, she leaves it, runs back to her city, and says, you got to check this dude out. He told me my life. What does she say to them? What does she say to them? Look at this. Look at verse 29. Come. Come see. This is a social outcast. No one would listen to. No one wanted to be with. She goes back to her people. She says, all we're doing. We're doing the exact same thing that this Samaritan woman, we're doing the exact same thing. Okay, come check my Jesus out. Come check him out. Might be a sip of water or a trip to the grocery store or watching a sport game, whatever it is. Check Jesus out. Hey, he's big enough for us to not know all the answers. He doesn't need it to us to defend him. What he wants us to do is to abide in him as branches. He's divine. And life will flow through us. Let people check Jesus out in your life. Hey, let me tell you. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. It's easy for me to preach up here. Give me 45 minutes, an hour, three hours. I'll take three hours. But if you, here's it. You don't want to sit here for three hours. <laughs> By the way, my mom came to Papua New Guinea one time where I was teaching. And our sermons, our messages are about three hours long. They just loved it. I don't know why. Like, I can't listen to myself for three hours. They loved it, you know? So we're like, I guess we've got to keep teaching. Um, so, yeah, I digress. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 9. How did, did, did Paul get this? Did Paul get this type of intentionality with people? How did he live? Was Paul just going, well, you know, just come to church? You are the holy priesthood. You have the spirit of God in you. You have the word of God. You don't need the pastor to preach the gospel to your friends and your family. They need you. You're the gospel presentation. You're the medium of the gospel. I'm the medium of the gospel. It's not the guy sitting behind the mic. You get all excited and start spinning and all that. It's not that. (laughs) I'm I'm just weird and crazy. Okay, it's not that. It's you and your personality, how God created you. Maybe it's over coffee. Maybe we get fired up. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're subtle. Whatever it is. Don't be like someone else. Bring the gospel. Bring Jesus to people. Look at Paul. Man, Paul just, 
This is spiritual DNA. This is Jesus and Paul. Take a second. This isn't Paul's good idea, philosophy on life. This isn't Paul coming up with these wonderful life. You know, these things are, man, the, the word of God is not by the origin of men, but by God. 1 Corinthians 9. 19. Look at this. By the way, when do we have to be done? When's the next service? 10.45, so I, I got to be out at what time? We're done. Okay. Okay, cool. We're in Papua New Guinea. Right on. Cool. All right, 19. Though I'm free, I belong to no man. Check out Paul. Hey, check this out. Every time I read this, it blows my door. It blows my socks. It really does. Every time I read this, I'm like, dang, dang, that's awesome. Look what Jesus does to people's lives. Though I am free, I belong to no man. I make myself a slave, a servant to everyone to win. Hmm. To win as many as possible. The Jews, I became like the Jews to win the Jews. Those under the law became like those under the law so that I would win those under the law. 21. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am free from God's law, but am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak. Why? To win the weak. I become all things to all men. So that by all possible means, I might save some. And check out what he says. Do we want this, what Paul said? Check out what he says. 23, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel. That's Jesus. That I might share in its blessings. What the heck is he talking about? The blessing he's talking about is seeing someone else come to Jesus and the lights turn on. That is a phenomenal, phenomenal blessing. It's intoxicating. It really is. Listen to those statements again. He became a slave, became like a Jew. He became like one under the law. He became like one not having the law. He became weak. He became all things to all men. Six statements that Paul is saying, this is how I view my life. How did Paul get to that point, it's because of Jesus in him. That spiritual DNA that he received in Acts 9. Jesus becoming his very life. Would we be intentional? Isn't that intentionality? Becoming a servant to all men? Becoming like someone under the law? Was Paul bound to the law? Of course he wasn't. But he knew for ministry's sake and for that person's sake, you know what? I'm not going to offend the law. I'm not going to break the law. I'm going I'm to toe the line here for his or her good. Even though I'm free. He said, I'm free from the law. I'm not saved by it. I don't grow by it. But you know what? I'm going to step under it so that this person might know Jesus. Remember Timothy? What happened to Timothy? He wasn't even a Jew. What happened to Timothy? He got circumcised, didn't he? Why? So he wouldn't be an offense to the people in Jerusalem, the Jewish yet-to-be believers. Did Timothy do that to get saved? Did Timothy do that so he'd be seen in God's eyes as approved or to grow into maturity? Of course not. He did it for other people. 
for Jewish people so that Timothy wouldn't be an offense. Imagine what it would look like if you and I would run to Jesus to see him, him in all of our lives. Imagine if we adapted our lives to a loving embrace of the yet-to-be believer. Imagine if you and I would open our doors of our homes to those who are different than us. Nicodemus or the Samaritan woman. Imagine if the yet-to-be believers were convinced of this truth. The church is for us. A for-themness. That we actually become their advocate. We step into their lives. Let me mourn when you mourn. I'm not coming to give you. I'm not coming to give you my my uh, my my uh, morality. I'm not coming to show that you can change your behaviors. My one and only mission is this: that you would see and know Jesus. That's it. Let Jesus and the Spirit of God deal with their morality. Let Jesus and the Spirit of God deal with their behaviors. Let Him do that. That's His work. Ours. To live on the mission of Jesus to make disciples that walk after him. Demonstrating and declaring him. That's it. Does, it, does the world really know, need to know where we stand on abortion? Does it really need to know at this moment where we stand politically? Does it really need to know where we stay, stand on the, the gay and lesbian issue? No, they need our Jesus. And God will take care of those things. I believe it. Let's let the Spirit of God do what he does. He transforms people. But if he can't transform them, if he's not in them, our job is to do this. Here's Jesus. So that you get the spirit, you can do a mighty work in your life. Does God want us to talk about some of those things as a church be prepared of how to theologically and biblically address those difficult issues of our life? Yes. But the yet-to-be believer, they need one thing, and that's Jesus Christ. That's it. They don't need our morality. That's legalism. They need our Jesus. And how is Jesus going to be declared to the world? Look to the person to your right. Look to the person to your left. And you as well. (laughs) I need Jesus. Remember that passage? If it wasn't in the scriptures, I would think it would be ridiculous. Philippians 2. Turn with me there. This is what Paul says to the church in Philippi. Remember Philippi? Lydia? Church was born. And this church partnered with the gospel of Jesus Christ with Paul. What an awesome testimony. Thank you for, thanks God for doing your work in Paul's life that he was intentional with Lydia. And this is now a letter to this church. Awesome. Five. Chapter two, verse five. Your attitude should be the same with Christ Jesus. Put your name in there. Chris. Spiritual DNA of Jesus. Who being the very nature of God did not consider equality with God Something to be grasped. The creator of the universe, the second person of the Trinity, was there in the very beginning, had no beginning, needed nothing. Eternal, perfect, holy, 
righteous. He humbled himself. He didn't consider equality with the Father and the Holy Spirit something to be grasped. He let it go. But why? He made himself nothing. He emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in, his hum- in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. Why did he do that? Became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Now, if that's not intentionality, I don't know what the heck is. Because he didn't have to. No one went up to heaven, twisted God's arm. Said, hey, you know what? I got a plan. Can you do this for us, please? He initiated it all. He was intentional. He was available. You see, what what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus, he says, I don't care how good you think you are, Nicodemus. I don't care that you you think you're a Sanhedrin, you're the Pharisee of Pharisees, or you, you are the mover and shaker of your time culturally, religiously. I don't care how good you are, you still need to be born again. That was a message to Nicodemus. And then he's, he's, next chapter, a couple days later, he goes to the Samaritan woman. She says, I don't care how bad you think you are. I, I know what's going on in your life. I know what your community thinks of you. I don't care how bad you think you are. I still want to give you living water. Jesus demonstrates and declares a perfect love to both of them. The mainstream, Nicodemus, the marginalized of the Samaritan woman. Nobody was off limits to Jesus. He didn't let the self-righteous, moralistic, legalistic, self-absorbed worldview of Nicodemus to scare him off. Nor did the socially despised, hostile, culturally unreachable worldview of the Samaritan woman dissuade Jesus to love her. The self-righteous or the self-toxic were not beyond Jesus' redemption, eternal life, and living water. Jesus saw them all through the eyes of faith. They were just yet to be believers. He was intentional with one, available to another. So what's the posture of love? It could be summed up in a number of different ways. But I think some major key elements of the posture of love is recognizing that you are first and foremost a child of God, not because you love someone else, but because he loved you. Just understanding that from the beginning to end. You love him because you first were loved by him. The second is looking for opportunities. You know what love is? It's not an emotion. We've got, you've probably been to every marriage, count, marriage seminar talks about love's not an emotion. It's an action, right? Love is actually seeking out the good or the benefit of another. That's what Jesus did in Philippians 2. Love is a sacrifice. You might get that knock in the middle of the night. Don't take it as an inconvenience. Take it as, this person trusts me with their life. This person trusts me with their life. You might get that text at that inconvenient time of someone that's hurting in your life. Don't take it as inconvenience. Take it as that this person trusts you with their life. They've opened up the door just a little bit.
love. Calvary love was a standard of how we're to love others. Christ discipled his followers for three years. Disciples were given to them a selfless devotion to the Father. They saw that in Jesus. Jesus did whatever the Father did, whatever the Father wanted. How would the multitudes, how would the yet-to-be believers know that Living Hope Church loves them? Is it why we we say, well, we love you? I mean, I don't know. But it's by actual intentionality in being for them when they need you. They needed Jesus. The Samaritan woman, although she didn't know, needed Jesus. Living hope. You have the spiritual DNA of Jesus living in you now. You don't need another seminar. You don't need another event. You don't need another Bible course. You don't need to be a pastor, PhD. You have everything you need right now. Actually, Peter tells us that. We have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. Either he's a liar or he's not. He said everything. Take Jesus to the streets, wherever you go. Mundane, significant, marginalized, mainstream, your neighborhood, coworkers, employees, family, grocery attendant, the guy that changes the oil in your car, the lady or the guy that cuts your hair, Opportunities are endless for the gospel to be declared and demonstrated through you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, that he's not just our salvation. Lord, that would have been enough. But he's our very life. It's him. Lord, I pray that maybe there's some this morning that we're wrestling with the idea of Jesus. Maybe they've come in with some baggage with what church is and religion and Christianity. And uh, Lord, I pray that they just heard about Jesus, his love for them. That he loved them with an eternal, inexhaustible, love the love that took him to the cross three days later rose again to give new life Lord if if there's folks here this morning that have never placed their faith in Jesus Lord would your Holy Spirit work we ask that your Holy Spirit would open their eyes and convict them of sin righteousness and judgment that they'd believe the simple message that you love them right where they're at and Jesus took the penalty the punishment of their sin forever 
They have forgiveness through the cross and new life through the resurrection. By believing that message and that truth. Lord, I also want to pray for Nate and Elizabeth and Pay. Lord, thank you for stirring in their heart a desire to go halfway around the world to bring this very Jesus to people who have never heard it. Lord, would you encourage their hearts right now? Would you encourage, uplift, strengthen them by the power of your spirit to take that next step of faith of where you're leading them? Let me pray these things in your name. Amen.